The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Stripes hype. Concerts in Halifax and Glace Bay create a big buzz. The city was buzzing with rumors today. The White Stripes are in town and their signature stunt on their Canada-wide tour has been surprise concerts. Now the first sighting was on Citadel Hill this afternoon. Jack and Meg White were there when the cannon was fired. Then they left the hill with about a dozen bagpipers and kilts. Then just over an hour ago they performed at a bar the media on Salter Street. is going to continue here right up until the show with television crews and reporters flying in from across North America. The Savoy is hoping that when other big-name acts hear that the White Stripes chose this venue specifically, that they the will do the same The concert has brought thing. people from across the continent to local motels and restaurants. Tickets have been sold all the way from Georgia to California. Fans don't want to miss the 10th anniversary. What's that? I think I hear something. Something seems like it's getting closer and there's some music that seems to Oh god I'll get the tickets for ya. <laughs> Who are you? I I'm 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 Quint Tim. <laughs> I'm Quentin. Wow! That's a name I haven't heard since I was in Derry, Maine? No, that's it. Where where was Jaws? Let at? me see your hands. Let me see those hands. Here you go. Let me get a good lie. Ah, yeah, you've been picking on guitars all your life, ain't you, Chief? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, that's right. I mean, there's very bloodied and calloused and. That's right. You know, I was in the war. I was in the war, Chief. Yeah, I was wondering. I could see you. You have multiple amputations. Look at this scar. I got that one on the on the on the Queen Mary. Oh God, put it away. That's right. I I tripped and fell. It's a it's a hotel, it's a hotel boat. I tripped and fell on the way up to the room. But that's not the point, Chief. Now Jack goes up to Canada. We go into Canada. Uh huh. Our our Jack. Right. And I'll capture uh-huh. him for you. I'll cap. I'll capture whoa, him. For, whoa, wait, wait. I'll, I'll capture him for three. <laughs> now this. And I'll skin him and gut him for another three. And then I will uh, bring uh, the carcass back down Quint. To, to the states for a, Quint. a third three. Yes. Quint, this is a this is bordering. No, it's not even bordering. This is straight up illegal. What you're discussing, and uh, there's no laws on the high seas. It's murder. You're talking about murder. No laws on the seas. Only the law of scurvy. It's the law of the sea court. All right. Well, it's bad. We're back. We did it. Um, part part two, James. Great white northern lights. That was a great white thing. Yeah, that was like a shark. Yeah. A shark thing. Yeah. Well, Paul, while you were doing that bit, your eyes rolled back in your head like a doll's eyes. 
lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. Welcome to the Third Man Podcast. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. And I'm your other co-host, Paul Kaminsky, and this is our Jack White History Podcast, where we do dumb skits at the beginning, and we're returning for a very special part two to our episode last week that we started, James. Yes, we are in the middle of discussing the tour, documentary, CD, album, all that stuff of Under Great White Northern Lights by the White Stripes. Yes, the live album, the last official release by the group uh, while they were still a band. The tour took place in 2007, and it was a tour of all the provinces of Canada, James, and we started going through those last week. Yes, the tour happens in 2007. The the album and the documentary was released in 2010, and the White Stripes were to break up only a year after that. So it's the last <laughs> tour the White Stripes ever did. It's the last project the White Stripes would release. So it's uh, it's an interesting piece of history, and it's one of their most in-depth looks into what the band was, you know. And it, it wasn't until the end where we got up close and personal with the White Stripes. Yeah, it's probably the best document of that band as a band and how they functioned, at least in the latter half of their career, what their dynamic was. Um, you know, the documentary film really gives us insight that we just never had prior to that about what Meg's role was there, what Jack's role was, what it looked like behind the scenes, some of these kooky adventures they had been on. And the live album captured them at the height of their musical ability. I mean, Jack had just spent the year prior in the Rack and Tours becoming a rock god or honing his rock god talents. <laughs> and Meg had spent it relaxing for the first time since she was thrust into stardom. Not, not against her will, per se, but, you know, I don't think being a rock star was necessarily first on her list. So, you know, we know that Meg famously had some issues dealing with celebrity afterwards. And so what we see in this documentary is the breakdown of the old way while they're while their musicality was at the was in tip-top shape. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, and I, I invite you all to to watch that documentary. But we're going to go a little more in-depth into the, the, the tour and the documentary in this particular episode. So we went through the last four shows in the last episode, and we're going to continue going through those shows, the rest of the shows, and we are going to go over the, the, the documentary and all that stuff as well. But before we get to all that, Paul... A couple things that I forgot to mention at the in the last episode about Jack and the Yukon. Apparently, he had also learned spear tossing in the Yukon mm. at the uh, Yukon Beringa Interpretive Center, and he learned spear tossing by Stacy Zaychuk. Okay. And uh, Jack also apparently really enjoyed the idea of going to the Yukon because, quote, as a kid, I saw some cowboy TV shows where they talked about the Yukon a lot <laughs> and the Alaskan-Yukon border. That was always exotic to me. I always liked that word, Yukon. Not an unfamiliar thing with what the kind of stuff he does. As we know, Wichita was chosen for similar reasons for its in in inclusion <laughs> in Seven Nation Army. It's just like a name he liked and a place that he just ne never visited, but was like, huh, that seems like a faraway place. <laughs> yeah, so he... He thought of the Yukon as exotic, and it is pretty exotic. There's a lot of tundra out there. He romanticizes then, the country a lot, because he did that same thing, I remember, in our Loretta Lynn episode, where we talked about how he had romanticized the American South by what he saw in Coal Miner's Daughter, that movie, when he was thinking, like, wow, a place like that actually exists. Like, So he, he's definitely somebody who builds up mythology around locations that are seemingly either wild or 
contain people that he finds captivating. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes hand in hand with his style of, of playing and his uh, eccentricities, I'll call them. Yeah. And also, when Jack was with the uh, Inuit leaders in Iqaluit, uh, and none of it. I forgot to mention that he he showed them all his his Rita guitar and played "Lord Send Me an Aww. Angel" down for them. But one of the first official looks that we get of Jack showing off his Rita guitar and these small shows like the one in Iqaluit, we talked about a, a few of them, I think three of them at least in the previous episode. Jack does a lot of these free shows that are spur of the moment and very spontaneous. And of playing these small shows, he says, uh, "Playing in a smaller club is better than playing in a big arena." Playing in a small town mm-hmm. is better than playing in a big town, and playing in a town that yep. is on the outskirts that people don't usually go to is, of course, way better than playing in a huge major city in any country. Yeah, he's at it again. Uh, this is an attitude we talked about briefly last week as well, and he really has an affection for smaller clubs and a seeming disdain for larger crowd places and things like that. And I I'm, I feel like I'm repeating myself. For those of you who don't know, when we covered the Blunderbuss tour episode, we did mention at the very end of the Lazaretto tour, he did say something along the lines of nothing but dance halls for the rest of my days or something like that. So he's got a, he's got a thing for those smaller locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we move right along uh, to June 29th, 2007. Uh, Jack White plays the Pengrothe Saddle Dome in Calgary, Alberta, via Sun Media, quote, Move over, bare naked ladies. Take a back seat, oh, the tragically hip. <laughs> the White Stripes could very well become Canada's new <laughs> IT band. Wow. Jack is becoming ever more popular in Canada. The Callowit show boosted his popularity uh, a lot over there. People are seeing him respecting their traditions and things, and so he's gaining a new fan base that he didn't previously have. But uh, the the show he plays in Calgary isn't one of those small shows. He plays the Saddle Dome, which packed in seventy five hundred people mm. compared to hundreds or right. at most a two thousand. I think was the the biggest we've had in the last episode. So seventy five hundred. Pretty good. Yeah. Dan Sartain opened up again, did a 45-minute opening ah, set for him. Bohemian Grove, man. Yes, indeed. Or for those of you who didn't listen to the last episode, Dan Sartain played a Third Man Records uh, Blue Series single. So you can hear some of his music. He's a, he's a country music boy. He's pretty good. Yeah. And he, he injects a little bit of R&B and soul and stuff in there, too. So he's, I, I very much enjoyed getting to know his music a little bit. You can play a little bit of Dan Sartain. Let's do it. Yeah. So Jack got on stage and played a, a pretty pretty wide-ranging set, but he also played Party of Special Things to Do, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, not a song uh-huh. I'm used to hearing him play live. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that song. Hey! 
And among his other, you know, normal stuff that he plays, he played Hotel Yorba, which he dedicated to, quote, all the cowboys out here in Calgary. <laughs> uh, which I thought was That's awesome. pretty fun. And kind of loops back yeah. to Jack thinking fondly of, like, the Yukon and the West, and it being like the Wild West of the North. Right. Which Calgary and Alberta are kind of like that. They're like the Texas of Canada. They have... A lot of cowboys, a lot of oil wells and rigs. Coal mines, oil wells, real estate, everything you hate, James. So via Sun Media, again, the reviewer they had at Sun Media enjoyed the show, but they said it could get a little monotonous. They said, quote, while one can respect the White Stripes for keeping their stage performance simple, with a lack of projected visuals and laser lights, there wasn't quite enough going on to keep the crowd's attention. White's amazing guitar playing... And his improved stage presence, which saw him cruising all over the two-tiered stage, did help, though. Improved stage presence. That's an interesting way to put that. I disagree with with their assessment. I guess simplicity is in everyone's bag. Mm. As far as I could tell, there wasn't any secret show in Calgary. But the next day, on June 30th, in Edmonton, Alberta, same province, Jack did host a secret show at the... Tegler Youth Center in Edmonton for about 150 fans and kids just before the main show. Hmm, that's cool. Wait, you said senior center or like a youth center? Youth center. It's a mission, actually. Oh, wow. Did they chain up the doors and throw away the key and have a party all night in the in the youth center? I mean, come on. Did Jack have to save the rec center from any greedy businessmen when he was there? <laughs> So he held the show at the, at the youth center. The Stripes management had actually scheduled the show with with the center, but didn't confirm it until a few hours beforehand. And it's funny, the manager of the mission, Devin Kay, thought it was an email mm. scam at first. <laughs> he got an email saying, a very famous band wants to be here. Can they have this concert? And can you drum up some people to, to come to this show? That's awesome. So he called them up and then found out it was legitimate. But he thought it was a joke at first. The show was, was scheduled for around 3.15 p.m. on June 30th, and it wasn't until 2.45 p.m. that Sonic 102.9 FM leaked the show. Ooh. Less than an hour before the show, it was leaked on, on the radio. People were getting drips and drabs. There were a lot of rumors that the show was going to happen. People thought it was going to happen uh-huh. at like, a library. People thought it was going to happen at a park. A lot of message boards were going crazy. It was like people talking about what was going on on the television show Lost. It was just rumors everywhere. Um, but it <laughs> It wasn't until 102.9 leaked it uh, that we finally found out who the smoke monster was, and it was indeed Jack White at the Youth Center. (laughs) I think that's why you and I don't see eye to eye sometimes, Jack. Jack got on stage, and he played six songs, including Black Jack Davey, which I thought was pretty neat. Again, another song I don't hear too often. Yeah, dragging that one out. While he was on stage, he said, quote, I don't know much about this place. Someone told me this is where Wayne Gretzky learned how to skateboard. (laughs) <laughs> Eight-year-old Sydney Condrote sat very close to Meg's kit. She was a, an attendee of the concert. And towards the end of the concert, Jack handed her his guitar pick right after the show ended. And she didn't really know what to do with it. And then her mother leaned in and said, you've got to put this somewhere safe. <laughs> fans daryl ann fletcher and her husband attended the show and she attended uh, a few of these secret shows she was quoted right after the show had happened the secret show and she said uh, they don't need all this fancy smancy stuff they're real they're doing it for the fans well somebody gets it all right when i say we're all black betting you don't say we're the lamb all right
And so the the a couple hours later, the Stripes would take the stage at the Shaw Convention Center. Uh, the Sh- the Shaw Convention Center, famously overrun by the Iraqis, and uh, Ben Affleck had to flee, and that's what uh, they based the film Argo about. It was like a Shaw joke about the Iran-Contra affair and the hostage crisis. It was pretty deep cut. Hmm. See, I thought you would have gone for a Shawshank Redemption joke. Low-hanging fruit, James. So right from there, we move on to July 1st. The White Stripes play the TCU place in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Say that ten times fast. Saskatoon. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And they they play it on Canada Day, which is July 1st. Happy Canada Day, Paul. Happy Canada Day, James. Oh, Canada. Canada, Canada, Canada. Still Nobody at home could see my wonderful jazz hands for that. No, it was good. So the White Stripes perform in Saskatoon. I, I, if I may, a, a word a word about, you mentioned Canadian popularity. Yeah. Jack, very, very popular in Canada. The album Get Behind Me Satan was a number one album in Canada. So when this tour kicks off, he has already had set a precedent for himself for having a number one album in the country. Even even something like The Dead Weather later on in his career. Like that album, Whorehound, charted, charted top ten in Canada. It didn't really chart all that well anywhere else, and it only charted at number six in the Billboard Top 200, so pretty good. I would say he's, aside from the UK, you know, Canada is probably where he is more popular. Yeah, the US, the UK, and Canada are his home bases, I would say, uh, as far as fan base is concerned, because he would easily sell out shows all over those those countries. Yeah. His, his popularity is there already and growing because of this. The Stripes perform in Saskatoon, and they do another small secret show before their main performance. A couple days before July 1st, the Stripes management contacted Allison Hunter, who owns the Eastview Bowling Alley in Saskatoon. Ah, this is that one. Gotcha. Yeah, to ask if they could host a show in her bowling alley. And she, again, like the guy from the Mission Youth Center, she thought it was a joke until they called to confirm. (laughs) She was wondering what these people would want in a bowling alley that, you know, her family had built 30 years ago. It's, It's like... Why, why are they calling her? And when they mm. confirmed, she had to suddenly get the word out that there was a show happening at her bowling alley. She had to do it in, a, in like a day or two. So she contacted a friend and he helped get the word out. And in total, the show had about 200 people who showed up for this this secret show. To quote Allison Hunter, uh, I wasn't sure it was real until they were setting up today. So she wasn't even sure until... You know, the crew actually set foot. You know, there were people bowling, like old old <laughs> folks were, were bowling while the crew came in and set up, you know, in their fedoras and ties and stuff. And not only did they start setting up the drum kit and the guitar and everything, they also picked out the perfect ball for Jack to use at, at the lane. <laughs> Was it a 33-pounder? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Matt, yeah. you know what? He probably does use a 33-pound. Yep. I, I prefer a 33. You serious, Clark? <laughs> a 33-pound bowling ball would be so heavy. I prefer to have 33 gutters. I prefer mine to be live armadillos like the Flintstones. That's my right, preference. Yeah. Well, it's a living. 
I prefer a bowling ball that's 3.33 pounds. It's very light, and it actually breaks as soon as it hits the pin. As long as it's named Ruth, I'm fine. <laughs> well, speaking of which... Did he? The stripes opened up with Red Bowling Ball Ruth. Ah, yes, yeah. that's awesome. Is there audio of that? Found some audio of them playing Let's Build a Home, so we can play some of that. That's so cool. I know. It's it's really, it's pretty great. The people who were up front were actually sitting on bowling chairs. It was little swivelly, annoying chairs uh, while Jack and Meg were playing. I'm really hoping some of them punched in some funny names into the bowling machines. Jack uh, actually even bowled a couple times during the show, pretty much towards the end of the show. Jack <laughs> grabbed, uh, with his so guitar cool. in hand, grabbed the ball that was chosen for him and threw it down and uh, got like a gutter ball pretty instantly then he he played a chord on the guitar and then grabbed another ball and threw it down the lane and when he left only two pins so uh, not bad it's clearly good he just he needs the guitar's wobbles yeah what can't this man do can he write a song about a boulder that even he can't play check check one two check no it's close no it's real bad my jokes are not on point today. I love you, James. Don't worry. It's fine. Daryl Ann Fletcher <laughs> was also at this show, Paul. The person who was also at the, the last one we talked about in Alberta was at this one as well. She said, we just love them. And the, the friend of Allison Hunter's who got the word out originally for this show is named Ryan Leslie. He's apparently a big White Stripes fan. And uh, Allison gave him the bowling ball that Jack used to take home as a souvenir. So he he was able to take that home when he said, quote, I'll put it beside all the ticket stubs and the CDs and the DVDs and everything else. <laughs> I gave him the decoy ball. <laughs> Mine's going in my trophy room. It weighs 33 pounds. It's the only 33-pound ball known in existence. <laughs> it's hilariously heavy. <laughs> I want someone to put a taxiderma peacock around it. This is its new armature. You hear that? Can you make it squat so it looks like an egg? Like it's just... I want my stuffed peacock on my property to look like it's given birth. Ah, uh, well, oh. that's a nice uh, That's a nice show. This secret show thing, you know, it's something he would elaborate on on later tours. The the one before this that the Rackin Tours played and the Broken Boy Soldiers Tour didn't really have a lot of these, if any. And... You know, the next tour he would go on is the Consolers of the Lonely Tour. And frankly, that's not a tour we've covered yet, so I'm not sure if there were secret shows in the Consolers of the Lonely Tour. But after that, boy, he started doing that a bunch, starting with the Whorehound Tour and mm. obviously culminating in the crazy secret shows and surprise shows for Blunderbuss and Lazaretto. Yeah, and he, he keeps up his weirdness of going to bowling alleys and other such things by going to gas stations and other things in, in those tours. So the main show was at the TCU... And he went on for about an hour and a half, and that that show too was was a larger venue. It it housed about two thousand people, were there in celebration of Canada Day, and the show closed with Jack waving the the Saskatchewan flag, which he's been doing uh, at at all of these at every province. He's been waving the the provincial flag. Mm-hmm. People have been people have been liking it, Paul. People have been real into these flags. 
Yeah, I remember that from last episode. There was a, a gentleman who was very, very excited about that. And, you know, for uh, the more out-of-the-way places, it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. That they would be excited. And from there, we're going to move on to July 2nd at the MTS Center in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Ooh! Yeah, before the show, guess what they did? What did they do, James? They did a secret show again. <laughs> Another secret show? James, will you tell me what the secret show was? <laughs> uh, they had two secret shows this time, Paul. Uh, before the show, they played an impromptu concert on a city bus, and then they got off uh, and played at a bridge in downtown Winnipeg. Whoa, is that in the movie? Uh, part of it is, uh, not the whole thing. Yeah, see, because I kind of remember the bus thing. It was sort of like a sing-along type of deal, but I don't remember the bridge at all, and that would explain it. Yes. Thom Johnston, or Tom Johnston, but I'm going to just say it's Thom. <laughs> it's definitely not. Was a fan who was apparently tipped off by a friend about this certain location, and uh, he was surprised to discover it was a bus stop. Uh, he only learned the concert was actually aboard the bus when the bus stopped. and the bus. <laughs> so it technically was at a bus stop. Right. The white stripes were just on the bus. He was, quote, blown away. I was sitting right across from them, and they started playing songs. It was incredible. It was really admirable. They care a lot about their fans and just take the extra time. Someone was gracious enough to film pretty much the entirety of the concert uh, on the bus. They played Hotel Yorba as well as they started it off by playing The Wheels on the Bus, which is fantastic. Oh, that's what I'm remembering. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm remembering. Yeah. Great scene in the movie. As I had mentioned before, they played a second show at the Provencher Bridge. I think I'm ho- pronouncing that correctly. Near the Forks Park in Winnipeg. And the Stripes mm-hmm. played a few songs there as well. Sweet. Uh, as well as listening and kind of playing along with a busker who was on the bridge named Bobby. I didn't get a last name, but everybody knows him as Bobby. Bobby Busker. And he's apparently there every day, or was there every day. I believe he died. But the the Stripes sat with him. He sang a blues tune. Meg shook her maracas to it. Jack listened and enjoyed it. And yeah, he serenaded them with a song called Canadian Tires. Wow. I kind of like that. I wonder what makes a tire Canadian. I mean... There's definitely a store called Canadian Tire, so maybe it's about that? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But what I say is, move over, busker. That... Well done. Uh, That reminds me of Jack White's uh, famous 2008 opus, 
uh, in line at the auto zone, which <laughs> I think some people consider to be overrated, but let me tell you, it really revs my engine or something. <laughs> He's one of his better works. Uh, it, it, the B-side was Meineke Blues. <laughs> which sounds plausible, to be honest with you. <laughs> kind of does. Jack's got that Midas touch, is what I'm trying to say. Ah! Um, and so uh, he's like the he's the are you saying he's the Michigan man? <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, we're treading all over this topic. I don't know how we keep doing it, but well, you can't spell stripes without STS. Um, James, we're we're on a real rotation here. Jokes. <laughs> Look, I'm tired. Um, ah! The jokes are running flat. Um, so they they continued. <laughs> we really blew this segment. And so uh, after that, later that evening, they played the uh, MTS Center. And from mm. there, the very next day, July 3rd, they played Thunder Bay, Ontario, which is an awesome city name. I'd love to live yeah, on Thunder sounds- Bay. He was to play the Community Auditorium there, and he also may or may not have played a secret show there as well. I can find no evidence that he actually played it, but a rumor was put out, and rumors were all the rage during this tour. Everybody was trying to figure out where the next secret show was going to be because he was playing so many of them. And I say him, I mean them, mm. the White Stripes. I apologize for, for mostly talking about Jack here. But. So there was apparently a rumor that there was a secret show, and it was apparently circulated by a fan who got it from Sub Pop 1, a user on White Swirl. Sub Pop 1 happens to be Ben Blackwell. Ooh. I can't find the post, though, that this guy got it from, but the quote was, meet at the northeast corner of Winnipeg and Beverly at home plate of the practice field at 5.27 p.m. Bring a baseball mitt or a wiffle bat ball if you've got it. What? Lord, Lord knows if there was some kind of weird baseball meeting with the White Stripes. Also plausible. He's a man who loves his baseball. It was a rumor that I had found that was circulated later that evening. Either way, they, they played the, the auditorium in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Awesome. Skipped over July 4th, go right to July 5th. The Stripes are there to play the Molson Amphitheater in Toronto, Ontario, Paul. Ooh, ah. (laughs) I'm saying that because an upcoming third man uh, who will be talking to uh, Gilles LeBlanc, he will have been there. Yes, time flat circle. Yeah. Before the show, (laughs) the... These Stripes play another secret show, Paul. James, will you tell me what this new secret show is? They play the local YMCA in, in Toronto. And according to the communications manager, like most people who had gotten these requests, they didn't understand or know it was real. Quote from communications manager Jamie Slater. At first, I wasn't sure if they were serious. The band's contact said he did a search on Toronto and fun and the YMCA popped up. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So I'm assuming Ben Blackwell was in there or Jack was typing. Hey, Swank. Furiously Googling. I got the right keywords for this one. Toronto fun. Hey, Spike, does the uh, search engine dog pile still work? I haven't been on the internet in 27 years. How about Lyco? Swank. I love that dog. Let me just open up my AltaVista browser. About 25 (laughs) folks uh, got the message from, quote, 
Ben on the White Stripes main message board, I believe it's Ben Blackwell, about 15 minutes before the show's start, and then also in attendance were 80 participants of the Grosvenor Street YMCA's summer day camp, ranging from ages 6 to 12. So about a camp's worth of kids were there as well to sing uh, with Jack. Uh, A quick note about Ben Blackwell. So admittedly, we haven't really done a Jack on Tour program that predates 2006. So I don't know if this is true or we'll learn this later, but it seems like he is pretty involved Mm -hmm. in the planning and execution of this tour, at least to some degree. And I find it kind of curious, like from here on out, he sort of becomes a more and more prominent figure in the Third Man Records universe, sort of as his own musical projects are sort of winding down. I wonder if, is this really the tipping point for him as Jack's right-hand man? Is there, is it a winding down of his own projects and a, and a, just a doubling down on Jack's that is happening here? Is it, is it the Detroit rock bubble bursting? Is that what's happening here? I wonder. I don't know how much it has to do with it. Ben, Ben has always been involved with it and we could talk about this on another show, but I do yeah. I do see Ben's name popping up as early as like 2002 or 2003. Okay. Um, so Fair it, enough. Maybe it's is, a White Stripes thing. Yeah, yeah he is invo- he's definitely involved with the Stripes a great deal. Later on you see his name more uh, often. I would say he's he's yeah. more of a behind the scenes guy in the earlier years probably, you know. I know he typed a lot of the messages on the White Stripes official website. He did a lot of that okay. kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I think it, admittedly is because we just simply haven't researched it. Yeah, I don't know these things. But I was just thinking back to the Jack on tour from 2006, of the Raconteurs, not a single mention. I couldn't find. I mean, maybe he did participate that in mm. some degree, but not to any degree that was notable in my research. Well, we know the perfect person to ask about this, and that's Callie Durga. Please send us a correction. Yes, please. Anyway, moving on. To quote someone named Ash, who was at the show and didn't want to be further identified because he had skipped out of work early. (laughs) It was cool to have the little kids at the show. It really felt not commercialized, totally for the fans. Apparently during the set, Jack had pulled up for the kids to to the makeshift stage to sing and show off masks that they had made at the camp. That's awesome. And some of the little kids sang their own songs on stage. I believe I can fly. (laughs) The very R. good R. Kelly song. And uh, another little boy sang The Wheels on the Bus again. Mm. Then uh, he went on to play the Molson Amphitheater in Toronto. Did an amazing show. And uh, to quote the Toronto Star in their review of the show, even dudes in backwards baseball caps who take their shirts off in public were singing along to We, we're, we Are Gonna Be Friends. <laughs> Oh, 
And from there, we move on to July 6th, the Bell Center in Montreal, Quebec. So, Paul, can you guess what they did? Uh, it was at another secret show. Yes, it was, Mr. Herman. And they all scream real loud. It's interesting because YouTube had finally come to prominence pretty much around this time. And so people were actually videotaping all of these shows and posting them to YouTube for, like, the first time in White Stripes history. You get some of that with the year prior with the raconteurs. But, yeah, it is much harder (laughs) to find stuff the further you go back there. Yeah. And everybody is starting to have digital cameras with videography equipment you could fit in your pocket, basically. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, good point. And uh, so the secret show was at the Black Watch Armory on Bluery Street. Two kilted bagpipers led a small gathered crowd of about 50 people uh, up to the upstairs area. And it's a pretty interesting show. And another drummer from the armory joined in for a ball and a biscuit while they were playing. they would later that night play the bell center to about 5700 fans so another pretty big show the tour didn't start this way but they have since started a trend of playing a very small intimate gathering and then moving on to Mm. a large arena type gathering yes Uh, we move on to july 7th at the uh, in london ontario they play the john labatt center and paul can you guess what they did was it was it a secret show That's right, it was a secret show. Good screaming, everybody. What was this one, They, they played a secret show at the Arva Flower Mill. It's an, it's an old flower mill that has since closed down. A good flower, a good love. Send me an angel down. Can you spare no angel with a teasing breath? Then later that night, he played the John Labatt Center to about 5,400 people, again, going from small to big, and he claimed on stage, I'm a nice guy once you get to know me late in the encore. (laughs) From there, we move on to July 8th at the Blues Fest in Ottawa, Ontario. Here, Paul, I'll save you the trouble. They played a secret show. Ah, very Uh, nice. What was this one, James? This one was actually private this time. Uh, People were trying to figure out what this show was going to be. Everybody was was looking. Rumors were spiraling everywhere, and newspapers and media sources who 
were normally tracking down the show so that they could record it. Sources were asking and, and turned away, actually, because he played a private show for sick kids at the Bronson Center. Aww. They played to 40 terminally ill children and their families. Oh, well, that's sweet. Yeah, they got they got a nice private gig. And, and later uh, on, Jack would headline the first Saturday at the Blues Fest. The second Saturday was headlined by Kanye West, actually. Oh, wow. Early in his career. Another headlining act during the fest was actually Bob Dylan. Uh, promoting his oh, modern wow. his modern times album a great album and an old yes. friend of jack white and jack played a crap ton of blues songs at this i mean it's the blues fest after all uh, including some covers yes. i would never heard one from hound dog taylor called give me back my wig <laughs> And uh, one by Tommy Johnson called Cool Drink of Water Blues. Nice. Yeah. Out of the bottom, give me gasoline. He did not play on his birthday, July 9th, uh, but July 10th, he moves to Moncton, New Brunswick, and plays the Moncton Coliseum. Very nice. Barry Wood, manager of the Fairlines Bowling in Moncton. Uh, apparently, Jack showed up three times to bowl. Man loves bowling and baseball and blues, the three Bs. And Barry Wood uh, said that he's a pretty good bowler. Uh, quote, <laughs> a quote from Mr. Wood, he throws a nice ball. Very nice. I'm glad to hear that. And yeah. other quote, he looks like he's bowled before. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like he's bowled before. Yeah. He looks just scraggly enough where like, yeah, you've been in a bowling alley a couple <laughs> times in your life, huh? You've inhaled all of that cigarette smoke. You played that game where you shoot deer electronically for some reason. He showed up three times Monday, uh, and again Tuesday night he, he bowled again. Barry Wood, the manager, had said that he had never heard of Jack White before, or the White Stripes for that matter, but now he's hoping the band's interest in bowling will bring more young people to Mountain Road Lanes. <laughs> Ah! Love it. Look, Barry, if you're listening, I mean, no offense by this, but I'm assuming this is how you sound. He's not. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we're going to track listen, him down and bring him on the listen. show. You know you're making bowling cool here, I said. You've got to let us get a voice. picture with you. And he says, absolutely. <laughs> that was your that was your devil, James, voice, That's by the way. I, I do own a bowling lane in Canada. I just thought <laughs> you guys should know that. Just the one lane in the alley. Just the one. Just It's number 13. <laughs> if you get that one, that's a direct path to hell. They say hell hath freeze over. I'm in the north. I'm in Canada. It's already quite cold No one here. says that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very important people have told me hell hath freeze over, huh? Anyway, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> but though Jack had bowled at this place several times, they did not get a surprise show. So Jack just went to bowl, Paul. <laughs> um, I somehow like that more. Apparently... Uh, they had planned to play at this bowling alley on that Tuesday afternoon before the, the Coliseum, but they called it off last minute uh, and did not play. Sorry, Mr. Wood, but uh, look, they're making bowling cool again. After Jack plays the Monc Moncton Coliseum, we move on to July 11th at the Charlottetown Civic Center in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. 
or PEI, as everybody likes to call it, apparently. And Paul, they play a surprise show here. Instead of that, a bowling alley, they play weird surprise show on a freaking boat, Paul. They're on a boat. Uh, on a boat? They're on a boat. Everybody look at me, because I'm sailing on a boat! They, they played aboard the Annandale Light to about 200 fans near the Confederation Landing Park, but the, these fans were not on the boat, Paul, because they would have sunk that boat. It was a very small boat. Mm. Jack and Beg were just playing aboard this this little tiny motorboat cruising next to the park. They played a four-song set list, uh, Catfish Blues, uh, Black Math, Hotel Yorba, and Screwdriver. And Screwdriver was very funny. The closing of it was Screwdriver, and as Screwdriver was ending, they started sailing away. And Jack went, I'll see you all later. And he just kept <laughs> playing Screwdriver, and they just kept sailing <laughs> off into the sunset, and they just kept playing it. And you could just hear the squeals every now and then. <laughs> I wonder how much of these stunts were arranged for them knowing there was a film coming and how much would have been arranged otherwise had they not known a film was going to be coming. Because, you know, you look at the secret shows for Blunderbuss and Lazaretto and they tend to be done with a little less pizzazz, uh, although still some some pizzazz, but those were never released as a documentary. And we'll get into this in the next episode. The The tour was not planned to be the documentary but the documentary was planned before the tour. So they I'm did... fascinated to learn about that next episode, James. But they didn't pre-plan these shows, uh-huh. but they, they did have the documentary in mind as well. Gotcha. So Jack played the Charlottesville Civic Center that night uh, on Prince Edward Island. From there, we moved to July 13th at the Cunard Center in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Ah. And Jack plays two shows in Nova Scotia, the first in Halifax and the second in Glace Bay. Uh, which we'll get into in a second. But the the first one at the Cunard Center, Jack arrives in Nova Scotia and goes to Citadel Hill, where hundreds of fans follow him up this this fortified hill. And these fans kind of believed he was going to do one of his shows there. But instead, both Jack and Meg, who were dressed in kilts, went to the fort with the bagpipers of the 78th Highlanders Pipes and Drums. They instead just fired off a cannon and then left. Oh, I remember that from uh, the film. Great scene. Indeed. So fans were a little disappointed by that. But very soon after, they popped up in Locust Bar and Billiards, a pool hall in Halifax. So they were playing a, a billiard club. And apparently Jack White's mother was in attendance at that bar concert. Mm-hmm. Um, she was there in Halifax for a family reunion. Teresa Gillis, quote, We love meeting new relatives, revealing she was in town to meet family. And that family happened to be distant relative fiddlers, Buddy McMaster, Natalie McMaster, and Ashley McIsaac. Uh, Ashley McIsaac was rumored to be a relative of Jack White for a little while. That rumor was taken with a grain of salt because of Jack's past fibs about Mm -hmm. his relationship with certain people. I'll just say Meg. Yeah. Um, 
that little fib. And uh, but it was confirmed. The Globe and Mail had confirmation that uh, Jack White's blood connection to McIsaac was provided by Antagonosh lawyer Daniel J. McIsaac, who was 56 at the time, and he's a cousin to Ashley and a first cousin once removed to Jack White. Hmm. Quote from Daniel McIsaac: I think Jack White would like to be able to defend that he is related to Ashley McIsaac and Natalie McMaster, and he's not quite sure of it. Now he is, and that's a terrific gene, isn't it? Because they were all musicians and and well-known musicians at that. Also, to quote McIsaac, I think we should really welcome Jack White as a Canadian son. He certainly earned it after this tour. That's true. He did. Uh, Later that evening, Jack played the Cunard Center... the Nova Scotian flag and proclaimed Nova Scotia we've come home which is a nice little snippet after you hear Bull Weevil where he says he's looking for a home well he's found one in Nova Scotia ah very nice A. yeah July 14th in Glace Bay Nova Scotia Jack White plays the Savoy Theater it is the White Stripes 10 year anniversary this day Aww. and it is celebrated in Glace Bay yeah they got the cake and they dance and that's where that super iconic photo of those two dancing mm-hmm. on stage uh, that Autumn DeWild took. Yeah, of them waltzing. Yeah. What a perfect summation of... It's a celebration. Uh, of the love that those two shared, you know? Yeah. It's sad because we know it was also the end, really, but it's it's mm-hmm. a beautiful sentiment. I'm very happy we have a photo like that from that event, you know? Yeah. It's a nice celebration at basically the end of this band you know it's like this is the the cake topper of the band (laughs) like it's something you can look at and say this is what it led to right everything that's happened over the past 10 years whether you consider it good bad or whatever you're still able to go back and sit down with these original instruments and and it simultaneously feels like nothing's happened nothing's changed that it's that you are the same band that you were 10 years ago. So this show would be included in the Under Great White Northern Lights box set uh, as Under Nova Scotian Lights, the whole two-hour show, because they did play for two hours. Uh, in preparation for the show, they the Stripes had registered an official tartan, which is the, the kind of plaid kilt-type pattern. And they have registered an official one uh, in their color triad, especially for the show. And they sold kilts with that tartan for 
180 bucks. Wow. Uh, as well as pins uh, and Balmoral hats, which are a traditional hat. Had I been there, I, I may have seriously considered buying that. The hat I would have considered. The kilt I wouldn't have. What a collector's item. Anybody out there who has those, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. It is ridiculously hard to find. If anyone out there has them, let us know. I want to yeah. hear how many times you've worn it and how many weddings you've ruined. <laughs> Do you wear pants? I don't no, know. man. They're not jeggings, man. <laughs> so Ashley McIsaac, who we talked about just a minute ago, actually opens for the show. The fiddler himself gets out there. He says, quote, I'm totally excited about it to get to perform in Cape Breton with my band at a show that's designed for rock. I get to go out and rock. To get to perform is great, but just to see the Stripes play is going to be awesome, Mm -hmm. said McIsaac. During the show, McIsaac invited Buddy McMaster up on stage and uh, got a a lot of applause. Everybody was super into this. Uh, They were Nova Scotian legends. Yes. Of Buddy McMaster, uh, Ashley has this to say, the only thing as good as lobster is Buddy McMaster. Man must (laughs) love his lobster. Yeah. The venue for this 10-year anniversary is the Savoy. The Savoy is a uh, turn-of-the-century Victorian-style theater that's decorated in mostly red and black, so it's kind of perfect for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Savoy spokeswoman Catherine McDonald said the community was ecstatic to host the band for the show, even if the sound isn't quite what the town is used to hearing. Mm -hmm. Uh, To quote Catherine, the excitement around the theater today, you could almost see the energy outside. And she added that staffers painted white stripes in the green room out of appreciation for the band. The manager of the Savoy, Donald Ferguson, had said, I just hope we can put our best foot forward. We'll get bigger bands of their magnitude to come again, and hopefully millions of people buy the DVD and see the theater and want to come visit. Uh, Which is a running theme of all of these places. They're like, come to Canada. (laughs) Please. That's cute. It's cute. And we'd like to go there anyway. Yeah, I'd love to. Honestly, I want to find that uh, Annandale boat. I want to find that boat and Mm. stand on it, get my picture on it. Totally. And then, I guess, I don't know, go for a ride in it. And be you like, know Jack owns that boat. <laughs> yes. Tickets for the show sold out in 12 minutes. And eager fans had dressed in typical White Stripes outfits and were rewarded with small cups of champagne by the road crew. Very nice. During the pre-show. During the, the set, which, like I said, was two hours, Jack said, we're going to play a bit longer show than we usually play. Is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then Jack had said, uh, Meg and I have so many cousins here, we can't even count. It's like a home away from home. Very nice. Of the show, a bagpipe troupe played on stage during Prickly Thorn and Sweetly Worn. said they they had the cake and confetti and with a 
waltzed off stage. It was a a nice little yeah topper to that. They got a rousing standing ovation, uh, which wasn't hard because everyone was already standing uh, throughout the whole thing. Um, but even eighty two year old Buddy McMaster uh, was quote risen shakily to his feet for the standing <laughs> ovation. moment in the film it's a it's a beautiful moment for the band i think we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to the uh to the uh, film portion of the of the project because it really is it's such a visual that um mm-hmm. I, if anyone out there has not seen the documentary under great white northern lights it's worth it purely to watch the white stripes 10, 10th anniversary i'm so happy they documented it you know i'm really yeah grateful for that here we are at the 20th anniversary and there it's not possible to document you know mm-hmm. the band together for it so yeah looking at all these shows i even the secret shows i was just looking at it going like damn i wish this band was still around i know, I know. seeing the electricity of it and all that you know, yeah um and paul uh, that would seem like it would be the the capstone in this tour but we have one more show okay St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, the White Stripes were set to play Mile One Center. It was their last show of the tour. And it also hosted the uh, infamous or famous, I, I don't, some, some say infamous, some say famous, One Note Show. Yeah, it's great. That's how the documentary opens. It's, uh, it's, it's an awesome little moment there. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a gimmick. Uh, the White Stripes are good at those. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Buzz had been building around the city for hours about a secret show, and the show took place on George Street in St. John's. Fans were warned ahead of time that this show was going to be one note, so they weren't just expecting a huge thing. They were told this is going to be very short. Right, right, right. right. So it wasn't a letdown. Quote from Jack, he was talking to some of the, the people on the tour and said, let's just play one note today. So we'll put on a show and tell people it's a free show, but we're only going to play one note. I told Meg, as we were getting out of the car, I said, make sure you grab your symbol. When you hit the symbol, grab it so that the note only lasts a millisecond. <laughs> um, which she does. she does. She grabs it right away. And uh, here's the one note. After that one note, Jack says... So at this point, they've done their goal, uh, and and everything else is just gravy at this point. Yes, indeed. Uh, so with that one note, it it, it solidified it. Uh, this led the Stripes to getting the Guinness record for shortest show for a brief time. The White Stripes were in fact recognized in the 2009 edition of the Guinness Book of World Records. So he was recognized mm. for one year. Who beat him? But the record was stripped from them nobody technically beat them 
Oh. The record was stripped from them because, to quote the Guinness uh, record authority, subsequent to this appearance, we received a large volume of applications from bands and performers seeking to beat this record. Ah. The ultimate results of this was individuals claiming that simply appearing on stage was enough to qualify them for this record. <laughs> to continue, many of us at Guinness World Records are enormous admirers of Mr. White's oeuvre. Oeuvre? Yeah. Oeuvre? Or, or d'oeuvres. Oeuvre. 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 Uh, and we would be extremely pleased if he were to attempt any of the 40,000 records that are currently active in our database. In order to apply, all he needs to do is head to GuinnessWorldRecords.com, fill in a short application, and grab his own slice of record-breaking glory, which he would do later on down the road. Mm-hmm. Jack took a little bit of offense to this, saying, The thing is, though, that Guinness Book is a very elitist organization. There's nothing scientific about what they do. They're just an office full of people who decide what is a record and what isn't. With something like the shortest concert of all time, they didn't think whatever we did was interesting enough to make it a record. He added, I don't know why they get to decide that, but, you know, they own the book. Maybe this will help us get the word out. There you go. The Stripes then rock one more amazing show in St. John's that night, right after the One Note show. And to quote Zach Gowdy of CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, he says, I don't think you'll hear too many people whining, referring to the brevity of the pre-show. He says, quote, the one second secret show seems funny instead of disappointing. And that is the end of the tour. And it is where we pick up the documentary, quite literally, because the documentary begins with that one note show. So... Paul, without further ado, this is going to be a three-parter. Yes, our first three-parter, unprecedented, and we'll get get to the album. Unintended. We'll get to the album and the documentary next week. But until then, James, we're going to kick it to our third man, wouldn't you say? Yeah, let's kick it to our third man. Oh, God. And we'd like to welcome our third man for this week, Andrew Marino. Andrew, thank you for joining us. You're back again. Yes, I'm back. They can't keep me away. They can't keep me away. It's good to have you. I hear there's um, some natural things that are uh, that are popping up in the world right now, including really, really uh, big fires near you guys. So I'm glad that we're all here. We're all able to talk about Jack White, which is the important thing. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, the the fires seem to be abating, so we can get this uh, not interview, I guess, uh, recollection of events uh, underway. Yeah, more of an interrogation, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the fires are dead. Like I'm looking at them, and they're hanging back, and going like, "Well, what's this all about?" <laughs> For those of you not in Los Angeles, uh, we experienced the largest fire the city ever experienced. It burned 7,000 acres and is currently smoldering. And for uh, context, the fires happened in Paul and my backyard. And something else happened in our backyard, Andrew, and that was the emergence of Mr. Pokey Lafarge uh, on August 15th (laughs) in Beverly Hills. And you and I went to go see him. This was our second time at the Troubadour. Yes, our second Jack White-related adjacent uh, show at the Troubadour. Yes, our first one was Margot Price last, uh, I want to say November, 
or possibly yeah. October. It's all blurring. Last fall, and that was a very, very Somewhere nice show. There. And uh, and so we were back, and we went to see Pokey. Now, Andrew, you had no idea what a Pokey Lafarge was oh, prior boy. to seeing this. Yeah, again, you know, uh, Paul has taken it upon himself to introduce me to music that I have never experienced before, but is very uh, specific to his show. So, <laughs> you know, it helps out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm but a... a a sponge waiting to absorb all of the knowledge. When Paul says, can I get a witness, you are that said witness. Yes. <laughs> I do shout that out the window at people. Yeah. Can I get a witness? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they, they go, please stop. Leave me so alone. Did, I also shout, don't put uh, baby in a corner, but I just found out what that's from, and I really had no idea for a very long time. I was just sort of saying it, because it was kind of like fun to say. Dirty, or wait, uh, is it Footloose or Dirty Dancing? Dirty Dancing. I knew it was one of those. Yeah. The Kaminsky the brothers both just not being able to pull that out of their, their heads right away. Yeah. Both... Amazing and also disturbing Look, to me, Andrew. Uh, nobody, there's there's so many babies in the corner right now. I I don't even know what to do, uh, but nobody can put them in there anymore. Uh, I've I've blocked the baby corner from from everybody. It's inaccessible uh, and it's a mystery. Um, so, well, look. If we want to talk about babies, we can talk about Pokey Lafarge and his awkwardly gangly <laughs> body. <laughs> he is a spindly man. Yeah, he's one of those spindle boys. Uh, yeah. Did you now when you when you viewed his visage? Did did you understand it? Did it come off like? Uh, how how did you react to a Pokey Lafarge? Because he is definitely a unique personality. I would say when he came out in, if I remember correctly, a three-piece suit <laughs> under hot stage lights, I was very much like, "All right, what's what's this dude's bag?" You know, like what's what's gonna be coming out of this guy? And it was it was a very interesting sound, and I actually uh, greatly enjoyed the show. But I would say that he hit he dresses the aesthetic that he plays. So like that's definitely yeah. how he comes across. Yeah, it's a little cosplay uh, in a way. Um, well, you know, just to take it back a little bit to the kind of, I mean, what you, what you say about dressing the aesthetic that he plays. I think the crowd also sort of dressed the aesthetic that he oh. the aesthetic that he plays as well. When we got there, there was a sizable line, and uh, you and I were wondering, huh, is this for Pokey or the bar or <laughs> what? And one like a, a slightly more detailed look at that crowd revealed, no, these are definitely Pokey Lafarge heads. Um, yeah, it was a depression era soup line, Paul. Yeah, yeah. And that's, there were more suspenders than I have seen in a department <laughs> store, and honestly, it, it made me wonder where they were getting them from. I guess in this day and age, it's probably Amazon is the answer. But well, there's uh, suspender suspenders, it, and that's on third. Yeah, there's suspender suspender suspenders. That's yeah. on third. There's a. Uh, Two buckles and a suspender. That's also on third. In fact, they're all on third. It's in the suspender district. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there, there were suspenders galore, uh, enough to wrap around the world, I would say. And there were also a lot of fedoras and uh, tightly waxed mustaches. Yeah. A lot of wax going on uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fans definitely came to party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and party they did. Um, a great crowd came out for Pokey, and uh, oh, we, yeah, yeah. So we <laughs> we uh, we all filed yeah, no, in. No and, insult meant. No, no insult meant. It was it was like the exact crowd that you would want at that show because they were just like in it, in it for him. Yeah, 
and so we we got there we got inside uh hit the merch table uh there's a very nice selection of things you know the troubadour very small uh sort of club uh with a bar area in the back and a kitchen with not so much like a staff working it so much as like two guys who yell at each other so that was kind of nice and uh we grabbed a bite there and a, and a drink at the bar and not too long after that the opener came out that was a guy named rustin kelly who was described by rolling stone as sounds like a scruffier voiced ryan adams obsessed with both merle hagrid and the misfits <laughs> um so that kind of sums that up huh i did not get that vibe from him but not bad not bad paul uh, yeah, well, Rolling Stone. And they also say it's for fans of Josh Ritter, Elliot Smith, Roots Rock, that actually bothers to rock like old 97s. Uh, I don't know what a lot of that means, but... Uh, oh, okay, I see what they're saying. Yeah, he was a little bit more like country rock, for sure. But, uh, you know, I, I actually dug a couple of his songs and shared them with some people after, after that. I enjoyed his opening act, hmm. uh, for the most part. It was, um, I think after he was off, I kind of turned to you and said that if that's what country is, I am really fine with that because I would prefer that to some of the more sugary kind of saccharine stuff. I prefer his sound, which is a little more honest. He talks a lot about like suffering and like how people hate him and Mm. how he gets sad at bars. And and he actively trash talked Los Angeles while being on the stage, which I found kind of endearing. Yeah, he introduced introduced a song, I think it's it's called called Hollywood, Hollywood, uh, where he was like, like, hey, so I wrote wrote this, you know, know, late one night night in a bar when I was drunk about about LA, and everybody was like, yeah, we can't wait to hear it. And the first line was, uh, Hollywood, you like suckers. Yeah, it was like, I hate this town. (laughs) Yeah, I hate, yes, that was the first line. I hate this town. Uh, I hate this bar. And it was like, oh, all right. I think that was what won me over to at a certain point where he was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to play, play to the crowd. Like LA, woohoo. Like you, this place sucks. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, overall, he was pretty good, though. You know, he did his thing up there. I'm I'm not really like that kind of a country fan, but I enjoyed it. I thought uh, he himself was charming. Yeah, he had like a rock blues vibe to him, uh, and like Paul said, it was very uh, "What was me? I just fuck up my life constantly," uh, which I can't get behind. Yeah, uh, but. You know, to, to bring it back to, to Pokey, he, he put on a, I would say, like a really impressive show. He did, he did 
I think just one song solo uh, where he gave the rest of the band like a break and he came out and just sang uh, sang and played acoustic guitar and it was it was a really nice number that he played that uh, I, I really enjoyed like I said earlier you know, I wouldn't be able to pull what song it was or what album but it, it, it was a moment in the show that made me go like you know I, I would want to listen to this guy more hmm. Yeah, it was. Uh, he definitely put on a great show. It was the first time I'd ever seen like a full show by Pokey. James and I had saw him open for Jack White, uh, I believe, at Radio City Music Hall right. in 2012. Right. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and he put on a good show there. He played Central Time at both shows. say before the show started I noticed that um, some members of the band were off to the uh, left side of the stage there was a door out there and uh, to the parking lot and I thought I saw him go out there uh, to go smoke a cigarette and so I thought oh well maybe I'll meet Pokey get a photo or something and uh, so I went over there because it's you know as I say the Troubadour is a very very small place and I went over to wait by the side there and I'm just sort of standing there and like poking my head out a little bit you know because you can't really get past the bouncers and stuff and uh, there was a guy who was standing inside finishing his drink and uh, he was like uh, oh hey you, you trying to go uh, you trying to go meet Pokey and I was like yeah yeah and uh, and he says yeah I don't know man I, I think he's gonna uh, I think they're just gonna when they're done out there they're just gonna book right onto the stage and I was like oh really and uh, he said yeah uh, I don't I don't think so I don't think you're gonna be in luck I was like oh okay so we stopped the conversation and I sort of stayed there and kind of hung out a little bit and um, then and then the band all goes running out and that guy joins them he was one of the south city three is the guitarist for the south city three it was crazy that's amazing yeah paul came back uh over to me all like defeated i was like oh, i didn't get you know i didn't get to say hey or anything like that this guy kind of told me you know, they were probably just going to run up on stage. He was right. And then the band comes out, and the dude grabs the guitar. And he's like, that's a guy. That's a guy. And I was like, oh, he spoke with his guitar. No wonder he knew what he was going to do. Yeah. yeah. That is, um, that's perfect. 
Yeah, it yeah. was crazy. Um, but it was a cool experience to have um, because that's one of those. Oh, hell yeah. yeah, that's one of those like unique sort of experiences. Uh, Ryan Koenig or Koenig. How do you pronounce that, James? Koenig. K o e n i g. Basically the same as Walter Koenig. I pronounce it like Walter Koenig. Yeah. So that was uh, Ryan Koenig. Sure. Um, who I who I spoke to there, very nice man. Uh, and then they they just played an electric set. And what was weird was I was standing in we, uh, Andrew and I were both standing in front of him basically uh, to the left side of the stage. And so he definitely had a clear view of us and me. And uh, it was uh, it was kind of a funny sort of unique concerty experience. Nice. Yeah, yeah. There was there was one time that there was definitely like what looked to be an acknowledging look. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was me you talked to. Yeah. But not, not in, like, a condescending way of, like, yeah, you should have known it was me. It was very much a, like, I kind of like the anonymity. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, but that dude shredded. Like, yeah. that dude was awesome. Yeah, he did a great yeah, job. Yeah, he, he had some crazy solos. The South City Three are, are uh, incredible, incredible musicians, so... It's surprising because me and Paul have both, you know, done research on these guys, you know, not not a lot. But, you know, most of what I've done has been looking at, you know, text and articles and interviews. And so if I was ever shown a picture, I might not recognize them either. And I probably would have done the same exact thing. It's it's kind of hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, I like that that happened, though. It's a good story to, to have. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Andrew, you mentioned that uh, when we were walking to the car and I was sort of, we were talking about the style of music a little bit, you had mentioned that there's other people that you knew that play this kind of throwback sort of roots, rootsy sort of music. Uh, do you remember, do you recall who you were talking about there? Yeah, yeah. So um, the guy that he kind of reminded me of, of like really capturing an era of music uh, is Leon Bridges. He he does kind of like a the, the best way to describe it is like a 1950s record, right? Like he's he's playing old school guitar pop from like the 40s, 50s. Like that's what it sounds like to me, at least. Right. Um, I could be misplacing that era in a way, but that's what it reminds me of, at least. Sure. I don't want my- I just wanna be a better man to my baby. Mm-hmm. Give me all good love. I was singing with them Jezebels under perfume sheets. Mm-hmm. Got a golden smile. Heart overflowing. We're kind of in love. But it wasn't enough. of that comes to mind is uh, his song Coming Home and yeah that's the title track of his album Coming Home Okay. Uh, so it's the first one off of his album and 
it's that that whole album is really really good i i enjoy it a great deal nice the this the show was i would say about I don't know, you know, maybe an hour or so. You know, it was a pretty tight set, but, you know, he was really energetic, pokey all night, and I think he was clearly happy to be there. Um, he was into the crowd. There was some definite people who knew deep cuts and things, which he was responding to. Uh, and at one point, he told a funny story about he and the band were walking down the street uh, outside of the Troubadour, which is in Beverly Hills, and they saw Jay Leno pull up next to them in who and he was uh, stopped at a red light and uh, Lena was alone in the car and apparently turned to Pokey in the band and said ah, don't worry the, the girls will be along a little bit later or something like that and um, <laughs> uh, that was amazing to me because I wonder does he just say that to ev- everyone when they encounter him alone in a car <laughs> on the street I have to believe the answer is yes like a 1000% oh, yes yeah, the answer is most decidedly Yes, and I would say every story that I've ever heard of Jay Leno in a car is Jay Leno alone in a car. <laughs> so I don't know if the ladies are ever a few minutes behind you, Jay. But well, it's better than the other uh, go-to he has when he's walking down the street with ladies. He says, "Don't worry, the cars are coming along shortly." <laughs> <laughs> and it's um, apparently, Pokey uh, said to them after uh, said to Jay after he said that, "Oh, you coming to the show later?" And Jay said, "Why? Who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> to which Pokey seemed actually kind of bemused by it was it was pretty that, nice. That's a very LA LA question though. <laughs> I mean, why should I care? Everybody here is famous, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. But Pokey did all the songs. Uh, the only one he didn't do, um, obviously, this tour just for li- listeners who don't know, Pokey is touring his Manic Revelations album, which is his new record this year, uh, of which the first single for uh, at least for Record Store Day this year was "Riot in the Streets." I love that song. I think that song is really, really good. It's backed with Better Man, which is another really good song. Uh, Pokey played Better Man, but did not play Riot in the Streets, uh, which I thought was kind of weird, although it was coming like this, the a couple days after Charlottesville. And so I was starting to, I thought maybe he was avoiding that for possible timing, you know, like, hey, maybe we don't talk about riots right this minute well, although it seemed to be like that would be a good place to talk about it yeah well right in the streets is sort of about that i mean it's about st louis going you know crazy after the uh the stuff that happened there a couple years ago and you know it's right. pokey's take on that and it, it, you know it, it he might not take a side in it but it, it definitely is a story about what is going on in a semi-objective way i'd say uh yeah, uh, that, yeah. you know stuff's happening people are rioting and you know stuff needs to change there seemed to be a general like you know across the country though a sense of like let's be careful how we incite yeah in the next couple days which you know agree or disagree with the things that went on down there i hope that many of you disagree with what went on down there because it was a it was people did bad things yeah but uh you know i understand the caution even in a city like la you don't know who's crazy and who's not you know do you have any partying 
thoughts about Pokey Lafarge? Would you listen to his music again? Was it a little too kitsch for you? Was were you were you interested enough to want to dive further? Any parting thoughts on Pokey Lafarge for the people? I would definitely want to dive further. It was just the right amount of kitsch in the way that like hit, hit me in my heart, you know, where I was like, "Ooh, yeah, I can get behind this." Like this is this is a sound that I like to hear. Uh, and would want to check out more. I think he puts on a very impressive live show with his band. Uh, and yeah, I, I had a great time. I'd definitely see him again and listen to him again. Awesome. And uh, yeah. we would like to thank you again for joining us on the show. Uh, Andrew, you are a repeat guest and uh, you'll, I'm sure, uh, not be back again for quite a while. Andrew, we'd like to thank you for joining us on the program. Is there anything, uh, is there anyone you'd like to say hi to? I mean, what, do, what do you, is there anything you want to do? What do you want? Yeah, what do you want with us? Okay, hit the peach. The the public go wild. Yeah, make them go wild. Hit the peach. Ruminate. Right. um, And we will talk to you next time. James, would you like to say goodbye to Andrew? Would you like to stop being so rude? Yeah, uh, I am. uh, I for one am glad I get to ruminate on this. And uh, and thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all of the support. All right, we're gonna get back to the show now. That's my nickname in college. James, we learned a lot, we laughed a lot, we lied a lot, and we are going to go ahead and uh, give some shout-outs here on our podcast show to some new listeners. Uh, We have some new listeners who've been talking about us, tweeting about us, Facebooking and Tumblring and all that stuff. Uh, We've got Ruby the West 3, or Ruby Thews 3. Or Ruby Choose yeah. three 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 at Ruby Choose three 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 on uh, on the Twitter there. So thank you. I really hope whatever, whoever you are. I really, really, really hope this is some Ruby Tuesdays manager who really loves Jack White. I really, really, really hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you to William Cooper or at William Seven Cooper on Twitter. Thank you to Robert Federson or at Robert Rolf Fed. Just imagine that, getting some sliders while hearing some blues on two trees. 
You get some Jack White themed mm-hmm. Ruby Tuesdays things. Uh, oh, you're still on the Ruby Tuesday. Okay, Bl- I got blues you. on two cheese. Nope. Mm, blue blues bacon blue. blues on blue cheese. Blue cheese blue blues on blues on blue cheese. Yeah. Eat eat it eat it eat the blue cheese. <laughs> eat blue cheese. Eat blue cheese dressing. I'm shaking. Can we not? Uh, <laughs> next up, we here we have uh, JJ, Abeo, Leonor. I think so. Anyway, thank you. We have Renee DeBoss, who I I don't know if that's a if that's a real name or like Renee's the boss of me or whatever. But um, whoever that is says. Uh, we should not let Rob Jones drive us around in Austin. So I assume Renee had a very bad experience with <laughs> Rob Jones in Austin. Uh, possibly a car accident, uh, possibly a speeding ticket or some sort of heist. Uh, either way, it sounds very dangerous. Uh, so thank you to Renee. We have Jim Santos. Thank you, Jim. We've got Zoe Jolie White, uh, which is a very fun-sounding thing. And we've also got Jorge Lopez. Thank you, Jorge. That we do, Paul. And oh. Who's that coming round the bend? It's me, Santa Claus, to give you the... Oh, for God's sake. We've got our people who are here day in and day out telling us that we're doing a great job. And you know what? Thank you to you little girls and boys. We have Kate McCoy. Oh, the bones of the operation. We've got Jeremy Riles. That little boy's keeping us on the rails. We've got my oh me. It's me oh my oh. We've got Andre Ice Cold Lie Man. Yes, he's a ice cold like my heart. We've got Eileen. Oh, I see you over there, Corsano. I see you when you're sleeping. Oh, we've got Kelly Derger. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, Kelly's here with us all the time. She is. Uh, we've got Adrian King, the punk rock queen. But everybody knows that that my raps are of Jesus is my queen. Uh, we've got Rain Prosper. No, it's red, red rain from all of the blood I've been delivering. No. We've got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. Paul doesn't understand my jokes. Uh, we've got LOL 2.0. Everybody knows that I love to laugh like that. LOL 2.0 We've got Eric Andrew Dodson We've got Dodson over here We've got Dodson over here He's on my list, I checked him twice We've got David Poe James, James, James Did Wayne Knight ever play Santa Claus in a TV movie? (laughs) I sure hope We have to find this out Um, If he did, it was probably one of the best performances of Santa Claus we'll have ever seen in our lifetime. <clears throat> Hello, Kringle. <laughs> that, one, that one's for free. That one you can take to the bank. Mm. We've got S.A. Franco. What does that mean? I know because you're on my list. We've got Yvette Wilkins. Wilkins on sunshine. Oh, Wilkins there on. she was, just a Wilkins on the down the street. Wilkin on sunshine, I always say. 
And that's about it. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. Good, goodbye, belligerent Santa. Uh, Facebook, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, facebook.com slash thirdmen. We're on Twitter at thirdmencast. You can find us on Tumblr, uh, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, you can find us where we host the show on our WordPress site. That's thethirdmen.wordpress.com. Uh, we also host the show on iHeartRadio's uh, podcast application or platform, which is Spreaker. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. And you can search The Third Men on Spreaker. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, please do. That's thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like something, by the way, we're going to do something in a future episode where if you have a like a message for the podcast and you want to just record your audio saying it, you want to email it to us, uh, just go ahead and do that, uh, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can search us on YouTube. And please uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes because that helps us a whole lot. Definitely do that. Uh, if you have any listener questions, feel free to send those in. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank Sam Kuber and Tom Valenti uh, for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men. Uh, we'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the uh, lovely intros and outros of our program. We'd like to thank our third man this week, Andrew Marino. Yes, thank you. And uh, and as always, Paul, I'll be looking for a very cold home in the tundra. Yes, I'll also be doing that thing. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> bye. <Okay>, bye. <laughs> bye. That's our new sign off. <laughs> bye. Oof. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Oh man, I forgot about the intro. Uh, well, we—I mean, uh, we don't have to. Hello there. Oh god, not again. Hello. Hi, hi, belligerent Santa. It's Kaminsky, and I'm your other co-host, Paul Kaminsky, and this is our Jack White History podcast, where we do dumb skits at the beginning, and then maybe sometimes crap out in the middle of one and do a different one, but this time. <laughs> I think that's true. At least the last official album released by the group uh, while they were a still while they were a still a band. <laughs> well, they were a still a band. <laughs> but if 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 only you had talked about shanking someone, Paul, you could have been redeemed. Canada, so. <laughs> hooray, hooray, hooray for Canada. Excuse me. So the main this show is my was- trash room. It's where I keep my trash. I'm going to put your ball that you gave me in the trash room. I got stubs in there. Jack, can I go in the trash room? I'd like to pick something out. You look very nice on me. No, you can't come in the trash room. That's my trash room. Wait, why is Jack taking it? Come in. Did Jack steal it come from Ryan Leslie? Room, she says. I mean, Jack could have stolen it for all he know. Do you think Peacock's taste cilantro or avocado.
I thought you were going to say, I think peacocks like to have live births, and then I was thinking of like a slimy peacock fetus emerging from a peacock, and it was starting to get really gross. Yeah. Charlie came running when he when he heard peacock fetus. One is the consoles of the Lonely Tour, and frankly, that's not... large tiger outside of your apartment and frankly that's not a tour we've covered yet so I don't know if there were many <laughs> and, uh, the, the main show it's just uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and zoom through this at a zoom at a reasonable clip. Zoom, baby! Right. I won't interrupt you. I got sausage on the oven. <laughs> Said Paul, with a euphemism and a wink and a nod. It's crazy. There's a lot in there, and there's somewhere he's like throwing a ball behind him, and I'm like, what are you doing with your life, Jack? He's doing a lot Sorry. of bowling. Um. Yes, it's very hot. Uh, you, it's shaped like a pitchfork. The lanes, there's, there's really three lanes. And then there's one main. It's very confusing, my layout here. Okay. And let's just assume... Let's assume this is going to be a three-part, because we haven't even talked about the record or the... I know. Or the film.